Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff. I hope this bonus episode and our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I do interviews on other people's podcasts, and I thought this year, you know, because we don't all listen to the same thing, I'm going to feature a couple of them from time to time. And again, as a subscriber, this is why you got this, right? Thank you for subscribing. So this is a conversation I had with Barnabas Piper and Todd Adkins last year on the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I just loved it. It was all about the heart and insecurity and lies that leaders believe. And it's just an honest, refreshing conversation that I thought would help you. And I'm also giving this to you because we're celebrating this week. We're doing something really special that I'm pumped about. This is launch day where we are opening up the high impact leader to brand new registrations. That's right. It's a course that I developed late last year called The High Impact Leader. It's about getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. So if you're like a lot of leaders, you're probably at the point where you're like, I just didn't have enough days in the week, or last week you didn't get things done, or you're still writing your messages on the weekend and cheating your family, or like you spend your day doing none of the things that are on your task list, and you're like, how did I get there? And um, I mean, you can do some basic things that will manage your time, but uh, about 10 years into leadership, I burned out. And on the other side of burnout, I sat down, and this is the story behind the High Impact Leader, and thought, I got to completely redo this. And so for the last decade, I've been working with a new rhythm, and it has like increased my productivity like you wouldn't believe. And that's why I get to do podcasts and bonus podcasts and hold down a full-time job and write books and you know, and that may not be your goal, and that's totally okay. Maybe your goal is, I just want to be off on Friday, or, you know, I'm our church is at a growth curve, and I've got to grow as a leader and figure out how to use my time. Whatever, whatever that is, um, I would just encourage you to figure out, how am I realizing my highest impact of leadership? And if the answer is no, well, then you may want to check out The High Impact Leader. So all the details are at thehighimpactleader.com. And what's fun is we've added some things this time around. So if you've taken the High Impact Leader course before, no, it's the same content, but look at what we've done. Okay, there's a digital-only version, and we've offered that before. So we've got a price point that I hope is going to work for all of you in the digital-only version. But this time, it includes access to a private Facebook group. Okay, so details are at thehighimpactleader.com. But then we have, and I'm really excited for this, the High Impact Leader Premium Edition. So this gets you digital access, but it also gets you a physical kit, a brand new physical kit. Uh, it's got the videos on USB. It's got a the High Impact Leader book. We've upgraded and rewritten the book, so it's a lot easier to work with and nicer. And then we've got, and I love this, probably too much, the High Impact Leader Moleskin Journal. And yes, it's a real moleskin. It is not a knockoff. It is the real thing. It's gorgeous. And you get access to the private Facebook group. And if you buy the premium edition, you get three templates. You get uh, templates on basically how to say no nicely. You get a fixed calendar spreadsheet, a worksheet, uh, just like we talk about in the course. And you get a template for a conversation you can have with your boss about the things you're going to do and not do moving forward now that you're managing time, energy, and priorities uh, in your favor. So I'm super excited about that. You got the digital version and then the premium edition. Details are at thehighimpactleader.com. But some of you are like, okay, wait a minute. I already have, like there's over 1,800 people who have already got the High Impact Leader and taken the course. What about us? We didn't get all that stuff when we did it. Okay. So there's an alumni premium edition upgrade for all of you who bought the digital product. And if you want it, there's a special price for you. And then for those of you, there's a couple hundred who bought the original physical kit. And you would have probably gotten that if you were part of Orange Tour. Uh, There's an upgrade for you as well. That'll give you access to the private Facebook group and digital access and the whole bit. All the details are at thehighimpactleader.com. And remember, it's a limited time. This is going to go away really soon. So I'm going to have more details tomorrow uh, when our regular podcast comes out. And I'm super excited for that. But in the meantime, how about we jump into my conversation with Barnabas Piper and Todd Atkins as they interview me. So here we go. 
So today we are going to be looking at lies leaders believe. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, we have Kerry Newoff on with us to talk about this and not because he's a particularly adept liar or no. known, known for it. Quite the opposite, actually. He's known for speaking into issues like this. So we thought he'd be really good. And obviously he'll be on the stage with us at the Pipeline Conference in a couple months. And so we wanted to talk to him about this. So Kerry, um, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We're looking forward to to discussing lies that, that obviously oh, wait, no. none of us no, believe of these things, but uh, but other people do. And so we're going to help them out. That's sort of the gist of this. I think that's a great plan. I, uh, <laughs> I have very little experience in lying. Uh, wait, that was one right there. So um, I think your nose just grew a little bit. Yeah, it did. It did. So this will be fun. You guys ask great questions. Well, that's sort of the premise of your podcast, right? So <laughs> yes, we, we try it, to do. You should at be least good five. at it after, after all these at episodes. Least five yeah, in every episode, hundred and some 10, 15 episodes. I hope we can figure out how to ask a decent question. Although we cheat and ask the same ones over and over again. So yeah, true. which is which is a good strategy, actually. It works when the guests are interesting, and we have been uh, blessed, blessed with some very interesting for guests. Sure. All right, so our first lie that leaders believe, we're just being that this is five leadership questions, we've got five of them, and so you'll you'll recognize a pattern here. So we're, the first lie that we think leaders believe is, I must know everything about everything. And so the question is simply, why do leaders believe it? Hmm. And then what can they do in response? So how do they kind of overcome that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I must know everything about everything. So I wrote down, I did, I did some thinking about this ahead of time. Oh, that's I just, not fair. Is that not fair? You wanted <laughs> no. to totally surprise me. I shouldn't oh, yeah. have sent the questions in advance in that I will case. Not, I will not, <laughs> I will not pass to... the polygraph. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I would say inadequacy. I wrote down inadequacy, and I've seen it a lot. Like, I was a little bit scared at some points to say I don't know. And, you know, I, I think that's imposter syndrome. I think most mm -hmm. of us are yeah. scared at some level of being found out that we really don't know anything. So I write a blog, as you guys know, and you guys do, you're writers. But, you know, somebody, somebody once said to me, how do you find like eight things or six things? It's like, well, I make a list. If it stops at seven, it stops at seven. If it stops at three, it stops at three. Like those are, there's no science to it, right? My formula is I ran out of things to write. The formula is that's all I could figure out. That's it. That's so, you know, there's, there's no formula to it. But it's this idea that somebody's going to find me out. Somebody's going to go, mm -hmm. oh, you don't know nearly as much as you think you did, or as you pretended to. And so I, you know, I think I don't know is a great answer. And I've discovered the more I say I don't know, the better things tend to get. So I think the reason behind it may be just this, this insecurity, this feeling of inadequacy, and, and maybe yeah. this imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's my best guess at it. Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely true. I think, um, I think it's very, very difficult to say, and this is probably true for just people in general, but just to say, I'm not the best one to ask about that. Because when, you, when you're in a leadership position, people ask questions about all sorts of stuff that are not your area of expertise. So, hey, what what would what would make what would improve this marketing plan? You may not be a marketing guy, so but if you if you try to answer it, you may not be helpful. It's a much easier to say, you know, I'm probably not the best guy to ask about that. And you can actually lift other leaders up if you yes. say, you know, you should ask. So and so about Absolutely. that. They're they are they're really good at marketing stuff. They really understand marketing plans or digital marketing or whatever. Instead of instead of giving some half baked answer that you came up up with on the spot, I really think one of the lies is you know we absolutely we do have to we think we have to know everything about everything and it boils down to insecurity. And when the reality is, we respect the leaders who ask, or I I expect I respect people more that ask really good insightful questions mm -hmm. uh that don't necessarily you know they they know their name is not google and they don't <laughs> know everything so they you know they're able then to um just asking good insightful questions i think is is so much more of a valuable uh, a valuable skill because so many times leaders think that their job is to solve problems when that's not the, the reality of the situation great leaders go and find problems mm -hmm. And find people to solve them <laughs> yes. and develop people to solve yeah. them. That's your job is to find, is, is to continue to shape and mold the organization and uncover, you know, problems. Hopefully you knock out the big problems. And as you go deeper and deeper, you're finding uh, smaller and smaller issues. But uh, that's, that's one of your principal jobs as a leader is to find the problems. I agree. And I think eventually this kills your team. Like, I, yeah. I think you're, you're not going to have much of a team 
if if you're the guy who has to know everything about everything. And I don't know about you guys, but I've I've been in a like leadership position now for just over two decades, um, and even longer than that if you go back into my law days or, or that sort of thing. But I just I find the older I get and the longer I lead, the more I realize, wow, I am not good at a lot of stuff. Like there was stuff when I was 25, I thought I was great at. Like I, I've always been interested in marketing. But like I have people around me now who are just brilliant and they make me look like dust compared to what they <laughs> they bring out. And I'm actually only good at a few things. I'm a half decent communicator. Um, I'm a reasonable thinker. Uh, I have the ability to rally large groups of people around a common cause. And um, and I can raise money sometimes, you know, in a congregational context, I seem to be OK at that. Um, beyond that, it drops off a cliff pretty fast. And Right. That's a that's a pretty humbling realization to know I'm honestly not good at a lot of stuff. I can't even assemble like furniture. I just it's horrible. <laughs> and you know, I there was a time and I think if you're in a startup where you become a generalist, like if you got eight people at your church, I mean, you're going to be doing setup, tear down, you're going to be doing probably the graphics and that. But then as you grow in your leadership, you know, as you, your church grows, your organization grows, you just realize if you're the leader I do this less well all the time. There are other people who are far more gifted and you got to release them. So, and then you eventually get to the point if you really trust your team where you really don't know, like you really don't know what's going on. And that's actually a sign of not, you know, you're not like ignorant on purpose. You understand the financials, you understand the, the strategy, but you can't answer all the questions. We opened up our building uh, last year, brand new building for Conexus church where I'm, I'm part of. And Man, I'm the worst tour guide because people ask me questions like, oh, where'd you get that? It's oh, like, no. I don't know. How much did it cost? I don't know. I can tell you how I raised the money. I just don't know how much it costs. I don't know what that is. And so, you know, <laughs> if you ever come to Connexus Church, do not get me to tour you around because that's I don't know funny. anything. You'd be like, and that's my office. Yeah, that's, <laughs> there you go. that's, that's it. That's right. That's I it. know about that. Where'd you get this couch? I don't know. Yeah, we okay. we did an episode a few weeks ago with uh, with Eric Geiger on insecurity and leadership, and mm. and this this theme was one we dug yeah. into, and I'm sure we could talk more about this, but um, I think Todd's gonna hit us with the next Absolutely. lie. Right, so next lie, go for it, Todd. Okay, so the second lie is I must be prominent and lead from the front. Mm-hmm. So the real the real underlying question is why do leader why do leaders believe that? And what, what, what can we do in response? You know, I had like, why do leaders believe that? I have like insecurity written down as <laughs> the number one response. I think, I think, you know, I've, I've probably believed that when I started in leadership, I got to be up front. I got to lead from the front. And I think that's always true. I mean, even if you're a campus pastor somewhere and you get your three minutes every Sunday, you can lead from the front. But the longer I lead, the more I believe in leading from behind. Um, I think it can start that way, like in startup. If you're starting something new, you're sometimes the face with the place and you're trying to get traction. You're just trying to even, you know, do what you're doing every week because it's very fragile. So I think I think it can start that way and there's sort of that mad scramble. But the real question I think every leader has to ask, if you want to be the guy who's in front all the time, the person with the microphone, is what started with me going to end with me? Because if you start something, whether that's a company, whether that's a church, whatever that is, if you're starting something and you really want it to end with you, then be the guy up front. Be the only guy people ever see. Be the only leader. But if you don't want, and gosh, most many of us are church leaders, if you don't want this to end with you, then you cannot be the person with the microphone. And we've all watched people, you know, and I, I turned 50 last year, people in their 50s, 60s who are just hanging on as tight as can be to leadership and control, refuse to make way for the next generation. And guess what? What started with you ends with you, if that's how you're going to lead. And so I think you got to make room on the platform. I think you got to push other people forward. That's my take on that. I was going to say uh, it's because in many cases, it's what they've seen. So Oh, yeah. Yep. Much of the previous generations were based on authority and control and uh, that type of structure. Uh, and so I, I think for, for many, in many cases, we look at that and we think, oh, well, that's how it's done or that's how. 
I have to do it. And so it, it really, I think it really is a matter of balance between, yeah, sometimes you do need to be upfront and cast, uh, cast vision and inspire. But as soon as you set the direction, you need to step back into the, into the crowd and be pushing and building momentum at uh, leading alongside. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's what Todd just said. Uh, it, it's a misconception of leadership. I think, especially for younger people. So my age and, and younger who are stepping into it, you hear leadership, you think command, you think, mm-hmm. you think CEO up front, you think, uh, you think somebody on camera, you think, you think general, you know, somebody who is leading the charge and, and you fail to recognize the day-to-day of leadership is much more alongside and among your team. And, helping them with problems and helping them solve problems and, and just doing those day-to-day things. And so it is a, at the very basic level. So let's kind of taking the fault off of the leader. It's just a misconception and it takes understanding and time to realize, Oh, effective leadership. You, you miss a lot from up front. You miss the side yeah. comments. You miss the spirit of things. You miss the, the temperature in the room. All you get is the spotlight and it's really warm up there. So you miss how frigid it is everywhere else because <laughs> That's what everybody else is feeling, but you're under the spotlight. That's totally true. And you can end up being the diva who only sees the green room and is only ever on stage and, you know, only ever appears and you really lose touch. Back to the original question, you know, as you guys were were sharing your perspective, I wonder if, because it is how it was done, Todd, I agree. This is like a generational thing, but I wonder if a lot of leaders end up with their identity invested in the fact that I have to be the guy up front. I have to be the person with the microphone. I have to be the mm-hmm. one under the spotlight. And this idea of obscurity or this idea that people might not know my name, that people may give credit to somebody else. Um, if your identity is tied up in being that person, being up front, it becomes very threatening to push other people into the spotlight. Well, and it's it, it really is a strange era that we're in right now because you see you you see having to balance that traditional um wanting to be up front wanting to be in the spotlight wanting to lead with a title and position at the same time uh we see lots of platforms being built so one of the one of the podcasts we haven't recorded yet but we want to uh is leaders without followers Hmm. So there are so many people uh, that are out there, quote unquote, leading, uh, but there, there's, there's nobody. They're not even. They're who knows what direction they're going in. They're, they're just, just sort almost of fa- famous, famous for being for famous. Being famous this is the phrase uh, we use thing. a lot. Yeah, so yeah. As soon as we get our our uh, act together, we're, it's a dangerous one to do. That'd be a fun one. Like sign me up for that. Yeah, it's potent, pot- potentially self incriminating. Well, but, you know, part of it, I I think one of the questions, and I have have this discussion with a lot of people on platform, um, because I I hear from a lot of people who want to blog, a lot of millennial leaders who want to blog. And, um, you know, when you end up with a platform that that has a lot of of traction, I think one of the questions, you have to constantly check your motive. And so I think Mm -hmm. a great question to ask is, who is the platform for? Because if it's for you, like, you know, my blog and my podcast have my name on it, Right. But hopefully, I hope, honestly, before God, one day he'll sort this out with me in person. But I hope it's not about me. I hope it's actually about the leaders I'm helping. I hope it's about um, the people that you're serving. And whether your name's on it or whether you call it some other thing, you know, just like, uh, you know, uh, you know, a different name, um, whether your name's on it or not, who is it about? Because if it's about you, I think that's a very different kind of leadership than if it's about your audience or even, you know, not to be cliche, but, but honoring God. Uh, and so I think that's a yeah. really good motive check. And I think if you're hanging onto the microphone and if you have to be in front and if you have to be the guy who always, you know, gets the last word, well, is that really about the people you're serving or, or is that about you? One of the things that uh, I think we can do in response, just to one practical thing that, that we actually do here is during the performance review process, like when I'm sitting down with Eric, I'm not only going through my performance, I'm going through the performance of my team as well. And one of the things I'm doing is for every single position saying, what is the succession plan for me? What's the succession plan for Kevin? 
Barnabas, you know, so on and so forth so good. Uh, in my team. And because that uh, is a great way uh, to, to say, okay, I need to be, I'm doing myself and my organization a great detriment if I'm the one always leading from the front, number one, you know, and recognizing that, well, what's a practical way to put that into place? If there's accountability built into that review process and that development process of developing people, uh, then I'm I'm looking for ways to bring them and up to the front and to stretch them and to have them doing things uh, that I would normally do. And honestly, 10 years from now, uh, my success will be directly dependent on from my perspective will be dependent on who they, who they become and what they're doing. They should all be doing, you know, doing more damage in the kingdom than, mm-hmm. than I am today. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, that is a whole succession mindset, right? The, the real test of your leadership is not what happened when you were leading, but what happened when you finally hung up your hat and stopped, like, is the organization, is the church better or is it worse? Have you really developed leaders or do you just cast a big shadow for a second? And uh, we, we actually have a lie in a couple minutes about just that very thing, but we've got Ooh, one oh yeah. more in between. So that's a little more lies. So yes, that's right. More <laughs> lies. lies. Uh, the, uh, the next lie that, that we're throwing out there that many leaders believe <laughs> is the, the concept of I must prove myself constantly. So why is it that people believe this and what can they do in response and to correct this? So I must prove myself constantly. So here's the result of thousands of dollars and many years of counseling. All right. <laughs> To whom? Like, who are you trying to prove yourself to? Yep. To you? Um, to people? You know, ultimately, is it to God? I, I have to watch myself because I can fall into the, the, the trap of doing ministry for God rather than with God. I can end up like, here, see what I did? See, look what I did. Is this good enough? Is this good enough? Is this good enough? And, and God's like, you don't have to prove yourself to me. Um, I made you. I know you. I made you. Well. <laughs> I know you. You sinned. I forgave you. Um, you're already accepted. You're already loved. Like, what, do, what are you doing? You, you do that out of a response, out of gratitude for me and out of gratitude for what I've done for you. But you're not trying to earn anything. And I think, I think people who are trying to always prove themselves, and I can be guilty of that, is um, you got the gospel wrong, man. You just got it wrong. Like, you, you, you work hard because God loves you. It's a response to Jesus' love. You're not trying to earn his approval you're not trying to win his favor. It was already won on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. Like I think that's a theological problem. And, mm-hmm. and I think at some point, if you're always trying to prove yourself, you lose yourself. Like You don't even know who you are anymore because you're only as good as your last result. You're only as good as your last series. You're only as good as your last year. You're only as good as your last quarter. And eventually you lose yourself in the process and you don't even know who you are anymore. Yeah, I, I encountered this pretty pretty pointedly when I published my first book because I was under the impression that publishing a book would be some sort of like arrival point. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> that I you do this and then like there's something fundamentally changes and I woke up the next day and I was still me and I hadn't actually changed at all since yesterday except that there was a book in print and it and it had there had been this sort of subtle proving myself concept and and so it was it was a I had I hadn't fully bought into it because I knew why I was writing and what I was writing, things like that. But there was that subtle sense of this will validate me to, like you said, well, to who? Yeah. Who are you trying to prove? God God wasn't any more impressed with me. My friends were not any more impressed with me. Your parents already loved you. Yeah. my (laughs) I thought they might have loved me less after that book since it was about being a pastor's kid. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever you went to high school with Uh, still thinks of you the same Yeah, that's right. They they remember me as that guy. They remember your nickname, right? That's the thing. Yeah, they they remember me as the chubby kid. Um, (laughs) all All of those kinds of things. But yeah, it is just that it is that sense of... It, and it and it became very hollow and all and I realized that was something that was worth being excited about pleased about a lot of things but but to stake any sort of identity on it was a complete waste of time and it you know and it it sucked a lot of the happiness out of something that should have been a right sort of sense of accomplishment that sense of I I contributed something I did something worthwhile and uh and it and you mentioned earlier the imposter syndrome and uh I think this I think that comes out very much here the 
I need to validate myself because I don't totally think I belong. And I think they're all going to figure out I don't belong here. Right. So let me prove as an author. It. I don't belong as a, and, as a leader. And, so I have to prove that I belong on a day-to-day basis. I think nearly every one of the answers to the lies is insecurity. That's yes, that's true. I, well, that's that, where I landed. Why, I mean, and maybe it's just because I'm insecure, a recovering insecure well, holic. We all are. <laughs> well, I think I think insecurity, though, is a mindset that makes us vulnerable to stupidity. Yeah. All of these lies, you it look at it. vulnerable to Satan because that's what it is. And sin makes us stupid. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, like, there's this, you, you look at each of these things <laughs> and you go, if you say it out loud, it sounds really dumb. I must know everything about everything. That, that, no, you don't. That's dumb. I must be prominent and lead from the front. Well, we all know really good leaders for whom that's just. That's just obviously not true. So that's not true. I must prove myself constantly. No, you don't have to. But in an in- insecurity leads us to feel that these things are true. Mm-hmm. And because we've taken our eyes off of where the real identity is and the real confidence and those kinds of things. Everybody from, you know, your wife, your children, people you work with, it's the fear of if they only really knew me, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like me. So is it possible to lead so that people actually know you so that they get an accurate portrait so that there's no backstage story you know what i mean because one of the questions you get when you when you travel in certain circles is like so what is so and so really Really like like. or what are they really like (laughs) yeah right and isn't it wonderful and refreshing to say exactly what you see on stage exactly what you read in the book or, or whatever and and the leaders i admire the most and hopefully at some point i can be one of these there's just a quiet confidence it's not a loud confidence mm-hmm. it's it's a security it's a confidence to say hey i'm not good at a lot of stuff and i make a lot of mistakes and who i am from the front is who i am backstage when we're having lunch or when i'm at home and i think the reality is and and definitely millennials are pushing more and more leaders to this some reluctantly but um, people admire your strengths, but they really resonate with your weaknesses. They just resonate with your weaknesses. When you know, oh, you're worried about that stuff too. Oh, you're, you, you don't always feel secure. Oh, you know, you go home on Sunday afternoon and, and, and obsess about whether the message was good or not good, or, you know, you, you get discouraged and think of quitting as well. I mean, if you can share out of your weakness, mm-hmm. you'll always, always have people who go, okay. That's uh, that's that's a leader I want to follow. And that's that's why going back to an earlier part of the conversation, that's why the answer I don't know is so powerful, because mm-hmm. the leader thinks, oh, no, they will respect me less. And emotionally, they immediately go, oh, I can trust this person because yeah. they are they are honest enough to say they don't know, even though I need the answer. They will tell me the truth about where to find the answer instead of lying to me about what the answer is. Because people can tell when you're lying yeah. or you guessed or yeah. you, you covered your butt, yep. right? Absolutely. They, they can, you can smell that. Well, pardon the pun. You can smell <laughs> that a mile away. You may want to edit awesome. that out or not. Oh, no, no. Uh, just leave right in. No, no I'll leave right, right in. I think it was conversational. I think it was spot on. people listen. Yep. Yeah. For butt jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The uh, middle schoolers are having fun right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, we're all. and so are we. So but the, we're also, uh, in addition to being insecure, we're immature. Uh, okay. So <laughs> next question. Uh, my followers' success is a threat to me. So why do the leaders believe it? And mm-hmm. what can we do in response? <laughs> Back to the uh, mother of all answers. <laughs> it's just insecurity. And, and I, I really struggle with this in my first decade of leadership. I mean, there's, a real, there's that old Maxwellism that says, you know, if you're a seven, you're probably out of 10 on a scale of one to 10. If you're a seven, you're probably going to hire sixes and fives. If you're nine, you'll probably hire sevens and eights. If you're a five, you'll probably hire fours and threes. Most of us want to have people who are below us, you know, in terms of gifts or ability. And I think for a lot of preachers, it's like, are you willing to hire somebody who's actually a better communicator than you? Like, are you willing to do that? And I ran into that full bore almost a decade ago when I started Conexus Church and we were a North Point strategic partner. I'd been preaching alone for a long time, like, and we had other associates and so on. But, you know, part of it was, hey, we got to play Andy Stanley. Well, Andy, I don't really even notice. He's a decent communicator. Like he's he's, he's <laughs> he actually okay. pretty he good does at all right. it. He does all right. He does all right. Yeah. You know, the, guy, the guy's got a future, I think, if he sticks at it. You yeah. know, Andy's one of the best communicators in the world. And so we put him up on video. And then the next series is brought to you by me, right? Like, you, you have to get over your insecurity with that. 
But I had to make a decision as a leader. Look, because what was happening before is our attendance would fluctuate based on who was preaching. And strangely enough, if I was preaching, attendance was up. If other people were preaching, attendance would be measurably lower. And I thought, well, this is one way of making sure that we have consistent attendance. Maybe I'll have the low weeks. And, you know, it, it, it worked. We have very consistent, statistically indistinguishable attendance, whether I'm communicating or whether Andy is. But it took a couple of years of just swallowing hard on my pride and going, you know, there are going to be some people who just love Andy more than they love me. And there's probably one or two people, maybe my mom, who will always love it if I'm up there, you know, rather nah, than she Andy. She likes Andy too, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she likes she Andy too, does. I know. Pretty much yeah. everybody does. It's the way right? it kind of goes, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I mean, so you just, you have to be cool with that. Like, you have to be okay with it. And I think it's a great discipline to get around other people who are better than you. And of course, you know, when you look at leadership development and team development, the best way to make sure you have an incredible team is, is to hire people who are better than you. And that's easy to do when you're like, well, I hate accounting, so I'll hire a rock star accountant, <laughs> yeah. right? Or I don't want to do kids ministry, so I'll hire a rock star kids ministry person. I mean, I think as a senior leader, that's a mistake. You should pay attention to that. But um, why do you feel that way? But when it gets into your territory, like maybe you're a graphic designer. Will you hire somebody who's a better designer than you are? Maybe you're a communicator. Will you put on the stage or on the screen somebody who's better than you are? That's the ultimate test. Will you, if you're a writer, will you collaborate with somebody who's a better writer than you are? Like, whoo, that, that takes big security. I, I got to sit down with Brian Houston from Hillsong recently, and uh, we spent some time together. And one of the questions I asked Brian, because, I mean, this is a guy who's got like, what, 90,000 people attending his churches around the world. And I asked him, one of, one of my listeners, readers said, why don't you ask him about how does he make room for all of these tremendously talented people mm-hmm. that he's got. I mean, let's face it. Half of our worship these days is Hillsong. How yep. do you make room for people like that? Loved his answer. He said, you just keep raising the ceiling. Just keep raising the ceiling. You know, the way you keep and very, very talented people is if you've got a really low ceiling, they're going to go, hmm, I can do better than this elsewhere. Yep. They're going to leave. But if you keep raising the ceiling, and I mean, he's got to build a couple of skyscrapers for the people he's got on his yeah. team. Um, you, you then, and I thought, what a great thing. Because I think with millennials, like, I don't think people work for you anymore. I think everybody works for themselves. Yep. And, you know, you happen to have a staff or you happen to have a, a team, but everybody works for themselves. And as a result, you have to make sure that your organization, your church is big enough that it can allow whatever God is going to choose to do with the gifts of that person are you threatened by their success or do you celebrate their success? And if you can be the kind of boss, if you can be the kind of leader who celebrates the tremendous success, which may be greater than your own, of the team around you, then you'll always have a great team. Yeah, Todd has said uh, many, many times on this podcast that um, if a leader who can raise up a team of rock stars will never you know, you, you'll never go without work. It's not like those those people. Somebody's <laughs> going to get fired you, because yeah. your people, people, you developed people better than yourself. You, yeah, you absolutely. Than you. That's I mean that that is, but that is counterintuitive to the insecure mindset, which says if I raise up people better than me, I will not be needed anymore. In reality, people will go, "Oh, can you do more of that, please?" And keep doing that thing where you're raising your people value up. goes yeah. up. You're yes. right. Your value goes up, and the, to ceiling, the organization the ceiling goes up. The whole ceiling is yeah. raised because everybody is now, a you know, a working better, better at their jobs, better equipped, better whatever, because you have helped develop them instead of instead of suppressing them out of your own sense of insecurity. Well, the, the, okay. So there's a book called the leadership code. Are you familiar with it, Carrie? No, I haven't read that. Okay. So in it, he talks oh, about, let me fake and pretend I did. <laughs> yes. I'm sure yeah, I did. Oh yeah. yeah I heard about that. I remember that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that's right. Years ago. I don't remember anything. No, I, I haven't read it. Um, okay. So in it, <laughs> me either. Uh, I read it. Thanks to Eric Geiger. Uh, in it, he talks about um, how, it's 67% of leadership is transferable from organization to organization and position to position. Mm-hmm. But what uh, the number one thing that you need in an organization is a human capital developer. So it's a great quadrant on 
this is what's focused on the future. This is what's focused on the present. This is what is really active, uh, people oriented, and this is task oriented. It's a great quadrant. I love quadrants. Uh, <laughs> I am a nerd out on quadrants for sure. But um, human capital developer was the uh, the most important to any organization, and it's the least developed skill, or it's the least um, it's the least common uh, skill among. Uh, executives. And so I think that is really, really telling in the church because we should be better at developing people than anybody else on the planet. I mean, because of the, the calling that we have to all of us to make disciples, not just be disciples, because of the one job we have in Ephesians 4 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, you know, we say it all, all, all the time on the podcast, but that's the heartbeat uh, of every day uh yeah you know who wrote that book that sounds like a really interesting um i'm looking i'm I'm you're looking looking. i'm gonna turn around leadership code we'll put it in the show notes when i don't know it's just like we'll put it in the show notes all right so todd is looking for that and uh, i am actually going can i say one more thing yeah absolutely all right Uh, Because I think this goes back to um, we never saw it modeled. And the other thing that occurred to me, the reason that team building is so difficult, if you go to seminary expectations, Mm -hmm. uh, most of us, 90% of all pastors will lead churches smaller than 200. And we were trained in a system which, as a rule, teaches us that we'll be all things to all people. You'll be the preacher, the pastoral caregiver, the Bible study convener. You'll be the uh, committee chair. You'll be the Mm -hmm. elder chair. You'll be all those things. Plus, you're going to set the world on fire, right? So it's the solo model of ministry, basically not not premised on leadership, but on shepherding, that you are going to be the one person. You're going to be the hub around which everything in that congregation uh, revolves and and I it didn't take me too many years in ministry to realize that is a fundamentally flawed model. Like you know maybe it worked for 18th century rural North America where you were in a little village of 500 people and you know that was it. But it is it is a complete failure from a 21st century you know man we have a world to reach and have yeah. the ability to do it. That's it. So, that's an interesting question. The the limitations of the of the concept of shepherd, because obviously being a shepherd is a very biblical concept. I mean, oh, Je- yeah. Jesus is the great shepherd, etc. But but Jesus is also Jesus, and none of us have quite mastered being the Son of God, and nor will we ever. And so He can actually be all things to all people. He can, you know, that that's different. And He but, had disciples. He right. did it for three years, and He left. Boom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and we, you know, in our leadership development, we talk a little bit about how, you know, Jesus scaled leadership development where he had the three closest friends, the 12 and the 72, and it grew into the church. And just, just not as a, not as a hard and fast model, but just as an example of, hey, the most perfect leader who ever lived did leadership development this way. And he, he multiplied himself. I don't know exactly what you all said because I didn't have my headphones on when I went away. <laughs> but uh, it was Dave Orch, oh, okay, by great. the way, uh, is who that book was by. Uh, it's an HBR book. Uh, but right next to it was uh, Talent is Overrated by Colvin. Nope. Have you read that? Cool. It's awesome. Uh, those two books together really speak into what we're talking about right now because uh, the whole idea, I mean, when you just say talent is overrated, it's it's really about posture and attitude uh, than anything else. So Christ took people with a, a posture and not always good attitude, but at least they had a learning posture. And they were normal people. I mean, you know, they were fishermen <laughs> and, and changed the world. And so it's, it's really understanding that uh, bringing people in and bringing them up into who uh, God created them to be should we should live and die on that, not not be insecure uh, that, about it. Great books, I'll have to add them to my list. But you know, one of, one of the things too, I think it takes it away from a look at me attitude to a look at them. Like I'm at the stage in my life where I really mm-hmm. want people to look at my team and I want them to celebrate the team and. Um, you know, in everything at the church and my blog and podcast, I have an incredible team. I'm so blessed. And the more you can elevate them, I think, I think the further you can go together. And obviously you want to honor Christ well, in the middle of it. You know, you want to elevate right. him, yes. but it's sort of diminishing yourself. It's, it's, and it's not underestimating your gift. It's not false humility. It's like, no, I am a decent communicator or I can. It's more like sharing your gift. 
Yeah. It's, it's using your gift on behalf of other people. Yep. That's well said. And part of this too, I, I think, you know, goes back to when we said, Hey, you'll never uh, be fired for raising up rock stars. I think the same is true of credit. So many people want to take the credit for themselves or not give more credit where credit is due. And by, by doing that and elevating them in front, um, you're also, I mean, give them even more credit than they're, than they're due mm. uh, to, because you're giving them something to strive for and a reputation to live up to. And, and assume all the negative personally, if you're the senior leader and this has been, you know, just a huge value for our team over the years. And I had to, I had to grow into this. I didn't know this going into it, but your tendency is to take the credit and share the blame and you got to flip it. You've got to, you've got to take mm-hmm. all the blame, even if you had nothing to do with it, even if you didn't know, you know, the financials are out of whack or uh, there was a horrible thing that happened in student ministry or whatever, you know, you have to say, Hey, I'm the leader. I'm responsible. This, this happened on my watch and I apologize. I feel terrible about it, but you don't start saying, well, I didn't know anything about it or, you know, Hey, well, that's our student pastor and the student pastor just continually makes mistakes. I mean, you, you are publicly loyal to your team. And if you can do that, if you can do that and you can assume all the blame and assign all the credit. Um, and again, I, I, I agree. If you're going to lie, lie about how awesome somebody was. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't try to even give the backhanded compliment. Well, that was a good job for a change. Right, you 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 yeah. really you really want to be way the to leader go this time. <laughs> way to go this time, exactly. Well, it also gives you the right to to go back in and privately address issues uh, on a regular basis. So, totally. and by that I mean you know that healthy conflict that moves a team forward to go back and address something like they know that you're for you. Uh, I'm th- I'm sorry, they know that you are for them. Uh, you're with them. And especially when you, you're doing that publicly, it gives you um, the right, I guess. Uh, it gives you the relational capital to go in and address uh, tough issues. Totally. You know, one good test for that is if, if your team sees you, like look at a public context like the lobby on a Sunday morning. If your team sees you talking to somebody, they know they're upset and they know, oh, they're probably talking about that, that situation I'm involved in. What does your team think you're saying about them? Do they think you've got their back no matter what? And if you can create the kind of culture where no matter who you're talking to, your team realizes, oh, he'd never say anything bad about me publicly. I just know that or privately um, that that he's going to raise it with me and not with them. You have a different level of team. And, you know, to every leader, you just need to get there because we're famous for saying things behind people's back. And that just needs to, to stop. Yeah. Well, I'm going to move us into our fifth lie. Okay. And it has nothing to do with insecurity. Well, we'll see. I, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it is this, uh, I emphasize and communicate mission, vision, and values enough. I yeah. do that plenty. I, I, well, I agree with that. That has nothing to do with insecurity. I think we just get tired of it. We just, we're just sick and tired. When I started in leadership, I thought, okay, the challenge is to never repeat myself. All right. I just, cause people will be bored of it or they'll be yeah. like, Oh, I heard him say that before. Now I realize 80% of what I do is just repeat myself over and over and over again. And I, I think you need to say the same thing with fresh passion. Sometimes yeah. I think people think, well, to have fresh passion, I have to say different things every time you will just confuse people. I think what you need to do is you need to find fresh passion for your core convictions. You know, it's like preaching. At some point, you got to talk about Jesus. At some point, you have to talk about the gospel. Sometimes you have to talk about salvation, right? You have to do that. And and the power of preaching over the years is being able to say those things with fresh passion every time you say them. But if you change the message, you're not preaching the gospel anymore. And so I think the primary task of a leader is to clarify and then recalibrate everybody around the mission. So... So doesn't North Point basically focus on the same seven things over and over and over and over? Is that the student Yes, area? it is rinse, lather, and repeat. And we take that really seriously in partner world as well, you know, as a North Point strategic partner church. I don't think there's been a single year in eight and a half, nine years where we haven't sat on a Sunday morning. We want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. We want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. You know, we want to partner with parents. We want to, we want to do all those things. And 
man, you feel like a broken record, but when you're exhausted, you've heard it a thousand times, people are just beginning to understand it. And and there's a whole bunch of new people. So it's while yeah. there there may be people who have heard it a thousand times, there may be people who have heard it twice, and very few of us learn anything having heard it twice. It took me uh, a year and a half at LifeWay to, to learn our division's core values to the point where they would just sort of roll off the tongue in an applicable way. You know, cool. oh, by doing this, we're, we're reflecting this. But I didn't get it for, I mean, I heard them. I saw them posted on the wall that the leadership here does a pretty effective job of repeating vision and values. <laughs> Todd does, Eric Geiger does. I'm sure the other, the other uh, directors do as well. And, uh, but it took me that long. And so mo- I don't think I'm dumb. I think hmm. I, I think I would put myself in somewhere in the median for ability to absorb information. And so that that was an effective reminder to me of how essential it is to to not just repeat for repetition's sake, but to apply repeatedly. Why are we doing this? How are we doing this? This decision that we're making, how does it stack up against these vision or values? So you're you're using them as a filter constantly in decision making and in direction. And here's what happened with that. So when you get hired here, especially if, if I'm bringing you in, you're going to know, you're going to be able to repeat the vision and values because Eric's going to ask you. I mean, he's, he's, before you get hired, like managers know, man, you better make sure that your people know this organization before they even work here. Mm-hmm. So he could have done that. He could have taken a test and passed from a knowledge standpoint. Yeah. But it's a year and a half. It's the, the, what we would say, is the transformational sweet spot is when you have an overlap of knowledge, experience, and coaching. So it has to be something that people are experiencing. It may be head knowledge, but uh, it has to come out in uh, in conversations when you're debriefing or evaluating or um, when you're talking about, hey, what are we doing next or what's going forward? And you talk a little bit about the why, and it's just sync. Uh, you know, sometimes it's more intentional and sometimes once it's once it becomes truly part of the culture, mm-hmm. it's just there all the all the time. It's so pervasive. Yeah, it. It, it becomes the go to question when you say, hey, what we're, we're thinking about a new initiative of any sort. And those are the questions you ask. Well, how does it fit our vision and values? How does it further our vision and values? How does it you know, is there any point of discrepancy there or have we sort of had to talk ourselves into it and said, well, if we think about it from this perspective, it kind of works because then you're not lined up with vision and values. And so it's and that's I feel like that was the year and a half for me where it tilted to the place where I could I could begin to think about marketing and and new products and a podcast and whatever else and say that's how this fits the vision and values of the resources division at Lifeway. And it, it was repetition and, I mean, just a consistent presentation of those things that that helped me get there. Yeah, you know, I think there's two assumptions under this question and this, this sort of lie that I emphasize mission, vision, and values enough. One is that you have them clarified. And if you have <laughs> yes. and you're losing passion, refocus on the why. Focus on the life change. Because, you know, as Simon Sinek says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think Mm -hmm. the why has been a constant passion igniter for me over the years. But, you know, on my blog and podcast, sort of that personal side of what I do, uh, we're in a rapidly growing phase right now. And I've got a new assistant who's been with me for a couple of months. By the time this hits, our team is growing. And if you're frustrated, sometimes I wasn't frustrated with my assistant, but like I was trying to articulate how we do things and what our strategy is. And like it is not committed to paper yet. This is, this is only a couple of years old and it's still organic. And the team that I started with is the team that's been with me. So we all kind of just know. And I've seen a lot of leaders and I've been this way in the church at times. I'm frustrated because people don't get the vision, but that's probably because you didn't clarify the vision. And so I've spent mm-hmm. some time clarifying the vision, clarifying the mission, clarifying. I had a phone call today where I said to one of my key people, you know, gosh, we don't even have an org chart. Like I don't, I don't even know exactly what we do because this was just a little hobby that's sort of growing into something that's more than a hobby. But like I realize as a leader, if you can't articulate it, if you can't, if you can't make it clear, then you can't reproduce it. So I'm going to spend a lot of time in the next month 
clarifying things, buttoning some things down, um, getting some things with the team committed to paper, because then you can expand, then you can grow. And then you've got a benchmark that you can, you know, uh, measure each other by to say, how committed are we not to me as a leader, but to what we are trying to accomplish together. And if the mission is bigger than you, you've got a future. Excellent. I'll give you one more book. Sorry. Go. We read way too much. Uh, Church Unique, Will Mancini. Yes, got it. Okay, Great. good. Uh, from a vision clarity standpoint, the process that they use is is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Yeah, we have the pleasure of working with Will on a number of different things. And yes, that is a, a sweet spot for him. And and again, for listeners, the books that we've mentioned, the one that Todd went to go dig up and, uh, and the others, we will drop links to all those in the show notes on the blog post for this. So if you missed the title or you didn't have a chance to write it down, look for it there. It'll be lifeway.com slash leadership. We'll have it in there. Um, Carrie, thanks so much for joining us to talk to talk about lying. Uh, it's one of my <laughs> favorite subjects. Lies, I guess <laughs> we yes. should have just said insecurity and call it. Yeah, that's true. It was closed in prayer. Lies, subtext, insecurity. So, uh, listeners, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Carrie will be with us at the Pipeline Conference in October, and so uh, we wanted to have him on to talk leadership to give you a chance to hear a little bit more from him. Uh, go to myleadershippipeline.com to learn more about the conference. We are still in our early bird registration phase for just a little bit longer, so you can still get pretty sweet discounts. Uh, jump on that while you can. Um, it has been a pleasure, Carrie. Hey, thank Thanks you so, so much, much, Barnabas. Thank you so much, Todd. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listeners, uh, join us for the next podcast. Thanks so much. Oh, those guys are so refreshing. I've really enjoyed the time I've spent with them. And that interview originally aired on their podcast, which you should subscribe to. It's called 5LQ, 5 Leadership Questions. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts and uh, make sure you tell them I sent you. So we're going to do another bonus Um, episode next week. And remember, this is launch week for The High Impact Leader. So go to thehighimpactleader.com. By the way, I didn't tell you this, but the premium edition is limited quantity. When they're gone, they're gone because they're a physical product. Digital, you know, you can move that forever because it's digital. But physical products, we had a limited print run. And uh, so when they're gone, they're gone. So uh, you'll want to check that out. So go to thehighimpactleader.com. And this is my hope for you, that you get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor so you can leverage your leadership at work. And when you're supposed to be off, you can be off. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, we're back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled episode as I sit down and have a conversation with Tony Morgan, who's got some exciting new research. And uh, well, we'll wait till tomorrow for that. Uh, Again, if you haven't subscribed, do that. And uh, you can do that for free wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.